G'day, this is the Unbox Your Gift podcast, how to turn a passion into a profession. I'm Rita Join, and in this episode, this week, we have Dr. Rahman Atri. Now, if you have ever wanted to cut your learning in half, like say you have to learn marketing, you've got to learn some coding, you've got to learn how to be a financial analyst, you have to be a certain person, but to be that certain person, there's so much reading, you've got to do so much personal development books you want to read. The goal with this podcast today is how to cut that in half, how to cut your learning in half. And Dr. Raymond Atri is the expert into looking at how to be able to take what you want to do and cut the learning time in maybe less than half. And in this podcast, he talks about how to do that. He works with corporates to help them navigate that, you know, in a corporation, people have different needs at different times. And he works with corporates to pinpoint what needs to be learned and how to cut the the time it takes. And it's the same principles that can be applied to you. So whether you want to go to the next level in corporate, whether you want to be able to harness a new understanding of marketing, whether you want to be able to do a presentation, whether you want to be able to do sales, whether you want to learn a new certification, this podcast will teach you how to take what you want to do, what you need to learn and cut it in half. I think it's brilliant because we talk about a lot of, well, this is what has to be learned, but do you really need to learn all of that to be someone that can actually perform, perform the function of a salesperson, perform the function of a marketer? Um, Because as we know, we're in an age where information is just overwhelmingly stimulating our minds. And how much can we retain versus how much are we learning? And I'm hoping what this podcast will do will take away all the overlearning, the overwhelm, and really crystallize for you what you need to focus on so that whatever you're trying to do, it can really be cut in half if you just know the strategy. And the strategy is coming right up. So Raymond, right now you're in Singapore. Before I press record, I asked you if you're in Singapore. Have you guys, because right now in the east coast of Australia, Sydney, Melbourne, we're in lockdown. Canberra, are you in lockdown? Have you been in this, has Singapore been in lockdown at all? Yeah, Singapore has been in lockdown for about 18 months, but it's kind of phased lockdown depending upon situation. So now we are back into what we were in 2020. So it's a sort of a lockdown, but they are easing out the restrictions now, I think, pretty soon. Okay, okay. So basically, I mean, I, when you say lockdown, like, because we've had level four lockdowns, like some places you can't leave, out of, out, go outside the house, you know, the only chance you get is one hour a day of exercise. I mean, that's the level of lockdown we had. Has Singapore had the same levels? It used to be, but not anymore. We are, uh, we are able to cut our office. We can do anything, everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, only thing is that they've just put some restriction on like malls or uh, food mm-hmm. centers, some vaccination mm-hmm. restrictions and those kind of things. But otherwise it's sort of open within the country, but mm-hmm. the only thing, the borders are closed. And has there been a big discussion about vaccinations in Singapore? Because I know it's a big deal here in Australia, that pro-vax, hesitancy to vax. Like, how's it been in Singapore? I I guess in the beginning, they just kind of made it volunteer. If you want, you take it and they encourage everyone. 
But now the latest rule is that if you are unvaccinated, you can't enter the shopping malls and you can't go for any food joint. You can't go to a hawker center to eat. So that essentially means an indirect way of uh, telling everyone that you got to have vaccination. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's pretty much you got to, yeah, got to be vaccinated to engage in society like it is in Australia. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to interview you today. I specifically wanted to talk to you about because you call yourself a performance scientist. What Before going into your story, because I will ask you about that, but can you just give me the definition of what's the function of a performance scientist? Okay, good question. The part of the performance science is to understand uh, the science behind the performance, how people perform, how people uh, get to mastery. And part of that one is, of course, learning that how people learn better and faster and how they can really produce the outcomes in their jobs, in their profession, in their business or other areas of what they basically work in. So that's the whole uh, you know, concept of performance science. It goes a little bit beyond learning science because the focus in learning science is mostly on how your brain works and what kind of strategies you should use in learning. Whereas performance is more about producing outcome, doing your, your job better and be professionally more successful. So is that to do with things like emotional intelligence? Is that where we're going? Or is it more towards how do I learn something really fast? Actually, uh, you know, emotional intelligence is part of the learning. Without emotion, there is no learning. Mm -hmm. uh, if you, you know, recall your incidents in your life, you will realize that the, the things you remember till date are those which were emotionally charged or somehow those got encoded with emotions. And uh, that's the whole logic about uh, learning as well. When we learn, if we keep the emotion away from learning, we're never going to learn. So emotions are a very important part of learning, but it's one small component of learning. Okay. And so when you talk about performance learning, you're talking about how to be able to take in information at a greater speed, at a greater level of understanding and depth. Is that what it is? Um, part of that one is this, but uh, the thing is that uh, learning content or learning information is not learning. So then the what learning, is learning? Learning is basically when you use your multidimensional personality, when you use all senses of your body to absorb information, observation, wisdom, skills. And it's also, you know, when you do certain things with the hands, it may not be actually absorbing information. It's basically mm -hmm. training your body to be able to perform a task. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you see that's beyond content or information, it's more building the habit, building that kind of routine so that you can perform it. So from that angle, learning is not about the content learning or information. So Probably then school is, is completely outdated then? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Um, <laughs> because that learning is that what's happening in the school. But if you see, we don't work in our jobs or profession the way we used to learn in the school. So mm -hmm. the school learning or academic learning versus the professional learning, these are two different things. Because the uh, emphasis in the previous one, the, the way we have learned in the school, it's mostly on content, information, gathering knowledge, and be able to use knowledge. But the professional learning, uh, the whole objective is you are gonna, you are being paid for something. You're gonna need to produce something. So can you produce that one effectively with good quality and maybe in a shorter time? So the perspective is different. So can you give me an example, please, of how I would be able to learn in a complete way, the way that you're suggesting, if it's not just 
if I'm learning professionally and it's not just yeah. content, and I agree with you, it's not content, it's information, yeah. regurgitation. Yeah. How would I, can you give me an example, a specific yeah, example certainly. of how I would learn something? I'll give you one example. Um, I worked with one uh, corporation, so they had financial analysts. The financial analyst's job is typically to look at financial trends, expenses, and be able to make sense out of that one. So these guys were put into five days training course. And in that five day training course was in front of the computer screen. And this training course was designed by some computer geeks who are pretty good with Excel and cloud software to do all the computations. So these guys mastered, they made many of them passed that course with flying color. And they taught them everything. How do you do the pivoting in Excel? How do you do the dashboard? How do you do the chart? Every single thing. Five days, a lot of uh, time to train people on that one. So now when they go into the job, their job is to present those dashboards to executives and CEOs. Now that's the skill. You're gonna need to perform under pressure. You need to be able to make sense of the dashboard and able to advise your executives that this is how the trends are going and we're gonna need to do this. Now, if you see, they absorbed a lot of content in terms of Excel sheets and all the formulas and the things to make. But the reality job required them to be able to present those data, create the wisdom out of their data and able to advise the top most executives in the company. Now, the later one is professional learning. They missed that part. The earlier one was the content learning, which they mastered it. But the mastering content does not make you a star player in the job. Because in the job, the work comes with some fear. It comes with emotional loading. It comes with pressure. It comes with lots of other things. And those things are typically not taught when we are given content to master. I hope I kind of clarified what's the difference between yeah. these two. So, so just, just for listeners and for my own understanding is if we were to take, um, so most people listening won't be able to maybe relate to a financial analyst. But if we take it to something very simple, like if I wanted to learn about just something off the top of my head, cats, I'm just for an example, and I'm going to go into and take, learn to take care of cats in a place. I can learn about what a different meow sounds like. I can remember what to feed them. That's all information, when, when, when to give them the food. That's all content. But if I'm going to really be able to care, which is what you're suggesting, to learn a subject matter, and I'm just using cats, you can change it to anything you want. No, okay. But how, how could I, how is, how, am I, how is my learning going to change from just memorizing information and then acting on that memorization, like this is the, yeah. the water at this time, the food at this time, to complete to changing it to the learning that you're suggesting? Right. So the way I typically work with people and kind of tell them the difference is this. Let's say that we're talking about the cat care. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, what's the outcome? What exactly are you going to perform? What will be the outcome? How do you see yourself doing it? What is the day-to-day -day thing you're going to do? Your answer probably is going to be, I should be able to, you know, um, take care of the cat. But that's very subjective or qualitative way of saying. Then we're going to say, okay, let's quantify what care involves. Does it mean feeding uh, the cat on the time? Mm -hmm. Or does it mean that they're taking care of, you know, when the cat got certain cycles or something? Or what else is involved? So once you specifically define what exactly care means, 
That means now you got three or four things that you must perform. And if somebody like me is standing on your you know, house fence, we'll be able to say, this lady can't take care of cat very well because I am going to be observing something. I'm going to be evaluating based on certain physical uh, parameters. So now what happens is once we start with the outcome, then we say, okay, all right. If feeding the cat is part of the care, what do you need to know? You need to know uh, what kind of food cat would uh, really be, should be given. And secondly, what should be the ideal schedule? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, ideal schedule, you don't need to remember. All you're gonna need is a table, a printer table, just paste it on your refrigerator. What kind of food? You're gonna need a list which you can keep it somewhere on the table. You don't need to memorize these two things. So now, the moment I say your goal is to be able to uh, follow these uh, schedule, follow these list, and don't go beyond that, the memorization part is taken care of because I gave you a job aid to perform mm -hmm. it. So you see, in the whole process, we didn't even start with the content. We didn't ask you to memorize anything. If I start you with this one, you've got to start first, how many types of cats are there, what their habits are, what kind of foods are there, what kind of schedule. So you see, we start from here to here, you're going to need to learn this much. But when we start with the actual definition of what the care is in terms of care, when you go backward, you only need to do two things. So that's really interesting because you're reverse engineering learning. You're saying, what is my outcome? What do I want? And then reverse back into what, what's it going to take to get to that outcome rather than learning oops, this ocean of information, right? That's right. That's so you, you got it right that learning has to have a purpose. I mean, of course, one kind of learning is where we learn for fun. We read mm -hmm. novels, we yeah. read, uh, read uh, scientific stories or anything else we read. We watch movies. That's also a sort of learning. That's for entertainment. We want to know things more. When we want to know things more, that's more of education. That's not mm -hmm. learning. I love that. I absolutely love that. In fact, because I'm actually doing a mental, um, I was taking a, a program because we, a, a camera is coming out of lockdown and I volunteered to do a um, mental health first aid uh, program to help when I go do trainings. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about it, you know, they do, how do you approach someone if you think, think someone is suffering from a mental illness? But one of the things that you just said, which would be brilliant for a course like that, is to starting from, well, what is the outcome we're trying to achieve? And then working from there, because then you, you, your mind is, doesn't have to be filled with all this information. It can be lift space to actually be able to manage what's happening in the day-to-day -day scenario of that particular person in that particular moment, which your thing, what you're saying, it makes beautiful sense. And in fact, I, you've written like 20 books that's correct. Yeah, and is it all about learning and how to learn? Yeah, it's all about this kind of philosophy of how do we learn. So if you see my main specialization is speed. Mm. How do you learn faster? How do you perform faster? And I have this obsession with speed. So my concept of learning is that we shouldn't spend too much time on learning. Mm. And there are ways where you can learn a large amount in a shorter time. But at the first place, you don't actually need to learn large amount to master something. For example, a salesperson. Mm -hmm. A salesperson's job is to sell something. Okay, that's the outcome. Now, in typical training or typical learning, 
we have subject CS people to tons of things. We send them for presentation coaching. We send them for negotiation training. We send them for emotional quotient kind of uh, training. I would send them for so many different training. And then on top of that one, they need to master the product features. Mm. And literally some sales people have to memorize every single bit of that one. Now you see, you're exposing them to this much. But let's say that I'm going to sell something to you. I'm just from my own experience or my, my upbringing or maybe my way of thinking, I'm going to say, Rita, you know, I understand your problem. Tell me about your problem. And there is good possibility we may be able to strike some kind of a, a link or, a, you know, I don't have to use a whole lot of 90% of those skills like presentation, negotiation. Perhaps I can connect with you emotionally and there is good possibility I can make a sale. Mm. But you see, to make a sale, I didn't have to master all those 90% of the skills. I only needed to produce the outcome with using whatever I know. Mm. So the point is, you're, you're, we are able to perform faster by learning little, but in a way that it actually leads to that particular performance. So uh, this is the kind of learning what we need today, because if you see, we don't have time. Yeah. Everyone is running so fast. Business yeah. world is moving so fast. Professional world is moving so fast. So where is the time? So we're mm. going to need to make sure that we are able to be able to go there where we want to go in a shorter time. So my, my books are mostly about that kind of speed. Beautiful, beautiful. So now tell me, I mean, you, you, you've, written, you've got two doctorates. You yep. have written over 20 books, 100 plus ed educational credentials. Uh, how did you find, like, so what would you say, like, what is your passion is your passion learning and how did you come across that because obviously it is because you of your your list of things that you've accomplished how did you come across what you've done what you're doing right now yeah uh, to answer your question yeah my passion is certainly learning but mm -hmm. not just learning learning faster that's my passion and it originated from my needs uh, it's not that i ever thought about uh, uh, doing this one it originated from my childhood um when I was six months old, I got polio and uh, I lost my ability to walk. Wow. So I'm permanently disabled for life. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the first thing when you get polio is you lose ability to walk and you lose your speed. So I mean, although there are prosthetics and other aids like walking aid, you can't match pace with uh, your friends, your classmates mm -hmm. or anybody. So I had those kind of experiences as a child. And whenever I felt uh, that I was left behind, I thought uh, maybe I'm gonna go forward and faster than others in something else. And that something else turned out to be learning. So I immersed myself into learning. And the moment I started leveraging it, I became passionate about it. And then started doing a lot of experiments on me. How can I learn faster than others? Mm -hmm. So it was, it was, I would say, in the beginning, it was just to make myself better. Okay, that was my only X factor I could create. But eventually I started loving it so much when I figured out that it's not just me because I'm disabled, I'm gonna need this. Every single person around me in my class, in my college, in my university, and now in the professional world, they don't know how to learn better and they don't know how to learn faster. So that's how my journey basically came about that I started experimenting with all the learning strategies. And then I figured out what I am doing, is it working on somebody else? So then I started sharing with my friends. So it worked on them as well. So, but then as I progressed, then I said, you know, there must be some better way. 
there must be some better answer somewhere. It doesn't have to come from me. So that's how I realized that there's a lots of journals, studies, research out there that has already established some of the strategies. And that's how I went for two doctorates. Mm. But that happened after I earned over 100 international degrees and credentials. So you see, at part of that one is the way the strategies I have applied on myself, it worked for me. Mm. And now by having the research, two doctorates in a short amount of time, now I'm kind of giving that back to people that, guys, there is a way that you can move faster, you can learn better, you can perform better. That's incredible, incredible. When you, when you had polio, where were you in the world? I was in India, uh, in a remote part of India. There were no facilities of any kind. And I think that was par partly the reason why I got it. Mm. So, I mean, because uh, that's, that's just remarkable that um, it was a good polio. I mean, I just wanted to know in that moment when you're seeing your friends running and, you know, obviously there's a detachment that's happening from you, you know, because you're seeing other people go. Did you ever feel to yourself that, um, well, to what extent, like when you went, got into adulthood and you, you still weren't able, where you weren't being able to walk, did it ever come to your mind that maybe, I think it's just a very hard position to be in. I think, did you ever think to yourself maybe that there is nothing to it other than learning, like how can I possibly monetize it? How can I possibly turn it into a profession other than being a professor yeah. or a teacher? Did that ever come to your yeah. mind? Yeah, uh, in fact, it uh, did. I mean, when I got polio, and uh, as I said, I was in India, it was a remote part of India, and there were no schools nearby. Mm -hmm. So essentially, if you can't walk, you can't go to school. So mm -hmm. I was at a high risk of not even getting any education. Um, but then somehow I kind of managed to go into normal school uh, with the help of prosthetics and walking aids. And once I kind of started doing the experiments with the learning, and I say, you know, I, I told myself, you know, I mean, Learning, of course, is the way I am improving myself or I'm making my better chances, but that's not, that shouldn't be the end of it. I mean, it's, it doesn't logically mean that I'm gonna be in training or uh, learning or teaching kind of field. So when I was a kid, I thought I wanted to be a scientist. And uh, at that time, my best bet was to be a scientist, uh, to be an engineer. Mm. So, so I read all the science books ahead of my age. And I continued that path, even though people out, you know, ruled out it's not going to be possible because of the condition. Even many of the engineering institutions, they wouldn't take uh, disabled people in their disciplines. Wow. Right? So, but then at the age of 21, I indeed became an engineer, electronics engineer. And one year later, less than one year later, I became a scientist. Mm -hmm. So that's how I kind of transformed the learning into a profession. Uh, of course, in the beginning, I was technology scientist, but you see, I loved learning so much that uh, after serving 10 years as technology scientist, I thought, you know, uh, I should be going into the area which I did the best, which was learning. Mm -hmm. So that's how I kind of detour myself. And then I went for my doctorates and a lot of other things. And that's how I kind of got into learning science, became a performance scientist. And uh, now I am a training thought leader um, for a, a large corporation as well. So it's kind of all, you know, it emanated from that point and became my full-time profession. Yeah, because before I press record onto the, the podcast, I know we were discussing that you worked for a Fortune 500 company as yep. well as 
you also run your own gig, you run your own side yeah. business. Now, before I get into that, I want to just find out with your two doctorates, what were they in? What did you do your doctorates in? My doctorate is in, again, in speed, basically. So I investigated that uh, how organizations are developing their team members, leaders, managers, or employees faster, how they can shorten their entire journey. Because what I realized is the best organizations in the world are those, best businesses or business leaders are those who can pay attention on the team and shorten their time. Because mm -hmm. if they shorten their time, they get the competitive edge in front of customer. Because now you are able to deliver to customer something which other people cannot. Mm -hmm. So that's where the whole concept of speed also kind of uh, emanated that uh, how organizations are doing it. So then part of that one was, how they are making the employees learn, how employees actually learn, how leaders really go about and use those strategies. And my second doctorate was all about learning faster. So oh it was more about speed. <laughs> you really love the subject. Two doctorates on the same topic. That's amazing. So, right. so you turned your passion for learning and the love of understanding the speed of learning into going into the academic side of things and you know pursuing it in terms of your doctorate. How did you do it in terms of monetizing it? All right. Um, just one, one correction here. I never went to academics. So I stayed in the professional world. My doctorates are all professionals based on your organization, even mm -hmm. though I did in a, like an academic stream. But most of my work has been with businesses, with leaders and in a corporate world. Yeah. So yeah. now part of that one is in the corporate world, every single organization want to move faster. Mm -hmm. They have a need for speed and there are not many people who can teach them speed. And that's where my monetization comes in. Okay. So you go into companies and you tell them, I can teach, you can tell me whatever you want to learn. I can help you learn it that's right. twice as fast. Yeah, that's right. And they're part of a, a lot of other things as well. I do professional speaking also. I get invited on some of the biggest forums uh, by mm -hmm. organizations or conferences where I share that know-how, uh, which, uh, which possibly there are only few people in the world who can really deliver it. So that's one channel for me. Yeah. Another channel for me is uh, a kind of uh, also for individuals that how do they want to progress faster in their life? So for them, I set up a, a kind of long-term coaching program, how to really progress faster. And it includes leaders, managers, executives, those who would want to do it on a personal basis. But then at an organization level, there are certain things which are sponsored by organization where they invite me that how we can change the things for their settings uh, in order for the entire team to move faster. Mm -hmm. So there are two, three different channels which I employ actually. So wouldn't an organization want to know, uh, well, I want to improve our sales, or I want to improve our productivity or whatever it is. Would they want you to come with that information of sales or productivity and learn to teach them twice as fast? Or do you just come in saying, give me your content and I'll teach it to you fast? Is, how does that work? No, no, I don't take any content. So my, my strategies are independent of content. Mm -hmm. I, as I said, I gave you just an example of the cat. Mm -hmm. I am not an expert on the cat. I gave you an example of sales. I am not a salesperson. I have never done sales in my life, right? Mm -hmm. So from what happens is that the strategies need to be independent of the subject matter. So once we decouple it, then we say, okay, all right, tell me what's your end goal, where you want to go mm -hmm. and how much time you're taking now to go. And uh, then I help them do the analysis that why they are slow today. 
what they are not doing right and where they wanted to go. Have they even ever been there? If they have been there, how long it has taken? So I help them do the analytics behind the game that where exactly they wanted to go and why they are not able to go. And interestingly, when they look at the data and look at the, how they have been doing the thing, it actually happened exactly the same way we talked about the cat example. They start from this side. They start mm -hmm. with lots of things, lots of things, and they subject their employees to this much of work. And when you expose your employees to learn this much and ask them to perform this much, it's gonna take that much time. It's not gonna allow you to go faster. Then we say, okay, all right, where you actually wanted to see your employees? Let's work backward. So then once we put that analysis in play, irrespective of their job, irrespective of the content, irrespective of their uh, business uh, setting, it could be a tech company, it could be a retail company. So I work this way and that's how I help them set up the right kind of strategies that can help them bring their people faster. So at that point, if they need sales training, if they need customer service training, that's when you would say it in your strategy for them. That's when you- Yes, would... correct, correct. I need to know their business. I need to know that what context they're working, the job function of that particular group. Is it sales? Is it service? Uh, is it uh, design? Or is it technology? Is it mm -hmm. innovation? So I need to understand that one because if they say that the, the group function is uh, innovation, then it's all right. Where do you want to take them? And what's your definition looks like? The definition of uh, a milestone or a destination in terms of innovation will be different compared to the definition where they want to take their salespeople. So I need to understand the context. So based on that context, strategies will be uh, slightly different. Maybe the content inside those strategies will be different. But in general, the at an envelope level, it's a kind of same concept. Brilliant, brilliant. And what do you call this type of strategy? Do you call it just in a strategy session? What do you, what name do you give, give it to corporates? I don't give any name. I actually refrain from giving the names because uh, that limit our creativity. Because at a given point of time, when you figure out, it's actually a problem with their thinking process. And so it could actually be a, a requiring a different session. Uh, in many cases, um, there has been... Um, lots of discussion, we say, you know, tell me what's, what you're doing, what you're trying to do. And in many cases in, in the entire session, I say, you know what, um, this is not something I can solve for you. It's mm -hmm. not gonna work. Mm -hmm. So in many cases, you have to kind of say that, no, this is not the way. Yeah. And in many cases, there are situations when we say, you know what, no, you don't have the, that kind of right culture that you can move faster. Mm. So uh, it's a, a fundamental problem here. So there is no point having a session understanding the problem. So many times uh, these sessions uh, uh, will go in any direction depending upon what problem they have. So I don't call these sessions anything. I basically say, you know what, let's have a conversation. I'm not selling anything. I'll help you get some education about how you should move faster. And then you and figure out whether you want to engage me. charge for these sessions? Um, the, the first uh, setting, I don't. Okay. Okay, so they're more like discovery sessions, but for corporates. So yeah, that's right. What their needs are. In many cases, I even tell them, you know, you can just read my book and you're going to get exact same uh, level of tips and process. There's no secret. Yeah. Um, only thing is that the secret uh, basically is everything is out there in the book. Everything is out there on my blog, reports and everything. 
go use it. I mean, why you pay me? And the uh, thing <laughs> is that now you tell me that you can't read that one and can't do it. Okay, then you got a fundamental problem. Then possibly you need help. <laughs> so, so in other words, that you have your you have your corporate job that you know pays the bills, and this is what you do on the side as a, as just a, like something that just keeps you in the loop, keeps you motivated, just keeps stimulates yeah. your interest really. Uh, that's uh, that's also correct partially because here's the thing: the you know corporate jobs uh, are a particular aspect of our existence. Uh, in, in some cases, that job may not fulfill all your talent needs. It may not fulfill all your passions or whatever you want to do, right? And if you see from my whole journey, I have done so many things, right? As a corporate leader, you, you, you are not expected to write books. I have already written 20 books. So there's a whole lot of experimentation and uh, know-how which I have, which obviously I wouldn't be channelized everything uh, through my job. So I'm going to need to find the channels to be able to share with the world because the people out there, they need it. Okay? Yeah. And uh, it's not necessary that you all the time have to charge for this thing. If it is meaningful, if you're making a real transformation, yes, you charge. My engagement with the organization uh, runs for about one year. That means once we start doing it, it's not going to finish in one year. So if you don't have a patience to engage me for one year, I'm not the right person. You're going to need some quick fix. Maybe there are thousands of other consultants that can help you. So uh, I'm very selective about where I want to work, with whom I want to work. Uh, part of that one is the people need to respect the learning and education and be able to bring in their context. That's the kind of people I work with. So I'm very selective there. Um, so as such, uh, there are a lot of things that drives me. I mean, uh, uh, from a, I do a lot of speaking with the executives. I educate them, and I and I give them everything there. I think you know what you should be able to. If my one hour of speech is not going to help you implement something, then you are spending your time at the wrong place. <laughs> so if we, if we take a look at your books, if we take a look at the books of you that you've written, and there have been twenty, I wanted to find out: Do you publish? Is are they self-published or with a publishing house? Uh, it's a mix of that one. Um, I typically avoid traditional publishing. I mean, now I have- uh, Oh, why that? Um, the reason for that one, I have actually rejected lots of contracts from traditional publishers, lots of contracts. Uh, the thing about this one is traditional publishers, I can tell you, they are not as up to speed in terms of, they know the content, they know traditional content, what works traditionally. But sometimes when you have breakthrough ideas, breakthrough ideas, traditional publisher wouldn't be able to take risk on because a traditional publisher got this framework of getting the feedback from uh, professors, uh, feedback from uh, other academic uh, people, or they take the feedback from other experts. Now, I tell you that, that some of the topics I write them on, I probably, I'm the only expert in the world. So now if my content, you're going to take it to somebody who's not going to be able to understand, uh, it's not the right justice. So mm -hmm. I have gotten into that kind of situation as well. But then there are certain books where the um, traditional publishers, they liked it. They wanted to sign for the contract. And uh, I have some problem with them because their contract is typically very restrictive. That means what content you're going to put in book, it, that's it. You wouldn't be able to use that content. That's the, that's the restriction in traditional publishing model. In, in order to use that content, in your speeches or otherwise, or any other subsequent book, you're gonna need to take permission. You don't own that content once it's gone into traditional book. 
So then I followed a totally different approach of uh, self-publishing, but my books are massive, 300, 600, or 300 pages, 400 pages, and lots of great content, very nicely designed, um, because ultimately that's what executives are gonna read. So my approach is different because I use that content in different, uh, different forums. I don't want to get restricted. Um, so how long does it take of... on average for you to write a book? Huh, okay, that's a good question. People keep asking me. I typically can write one book in about two months. Okay. So does that uh, include but, research and you know all of that, or is it just you know everything that's on the top of your head? How like what's your process? Yeah. Most of the research I have already done, I mean, part of my two doctorates and part of my experimentation through journey, I have done lots of research. And good thing was I used to write. Mm. Everything I will observe, everything I will find, I will write it somehow. It may not be in a final format, but I capture my thoughts very nicely. Mm -hmm. And when I am sitting on writing it, then I reorganize my thoughts. I put it in play. And there is a research is already done, that part. Um, otherwise, research takes a longer time. For example, uh, the research on speed I was talking about, it took me 10 years to just do the research on that. So mm -hmm. 10 years is a pretty long period for research. Mm -hmm. But then in 10 years, you learn so much that even 10 books are not enough for that. So that's how I kind of create series of books. And the way I do it, I do a sort of cut. I mean, what kind mm -hmm. of audience I'm going to write? Uh, am I going to educate them or am I going to give them some practical tips? So based okay. on that slicing, I am able to create multiple books from the same research. And do you do much marketing for your books or do you write them and then you put them up somewhere if someone comes across it, great, if they don't, they don't. Like, Do you actively market each one of your books? I don't actually market uh, actively uh, because part of that one is I do a lot of professional speaking. Mm -hmm. And then um, at the end, of, I say, okay, here are my books. And I have seen that most of the executives, they would buy those. Uh, I don't actually go after social media or anything kind of over promoting my book, uh, but I do some foundational things. Like mm -hmm. I will ask some renowned uh, personalities to write the foreword for the book. Yeah. And then I will actually place that book in the conferences because that's the right audience. They are the people who are gonna need that kind of education. But other than that, I don't do anything else. My books are very expensive, by the way. And uh, part of that one is that it, it's never going to qualify for those uh, Amazon bestseller kind of thing mm -hmm. where you sell a book for one dollar. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. I don't go any kind of marketing, but my books get uh, absorbed in a corporate circle automatically because there are no other book than what I write. So what is your expert X portal? What's that about? So that's where, uh, you know, it's... Uh, I, I have this vision to make a portal where people can come in and uh, learn how to learn better. Okay. So I wanted to build this entire know-how there. And, but part of that one, it's also showcase of uh, all the speeches I have done, all the talks I have delivered. And there are a lot of reports and research and article I have written. So I have started putting up there. So eventually it's gonna grow up as a one-stop uh, portal. Uh, I would say there, there are a lot of other sites where people can go and learn things, but probably there are not many sites where people can go to learn how to learn. So okay. this, is, this is gonna be a platform. I'm envisioning it as a platform. Right now it's just a website with mm -hmm. a lot of content, a lot of information and know-how, but right. eventually it's gonna grow into probably a membership-based portal. Okay, fantastic. And if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, okay, so if I'm gonna learn faster, 
I'm going to learn at a greater speed. What are the top three things that you would suggest to someone to be able to learn a lot faster? So we, we, we discussed that you start with the outcome, what are you want, yeah. step one, what would be step two and three? All right. So I will reiterate the step number one for outcome because mm -hmm. that's very, very important. So I would suggest start with the end in mind, mm -hmm. where you want to go. And then you figure out the second layer, what's the most essential thing you must master in order to go there. And do think critically, do you really need to master everything? And that's my second uh, tip here, that mm -hmm. in order to be an expert in something or mastering something, you don't need to master everything that goes into it. You may have to just master a subset of things and you still can be a master, um, I would say, in that particular area, right? Um, my example sometimes can be that if you want to be, let's say, that a master in a master speaker in something, so all you have to do is possibly master a certain part of the content. You don't have to master the entire stage circus that happens in most cases. So I would say it's not necessary. You have to figure out what the key area that you need to really master, and that's it. Once you define a shorter list to master and the same outcome you can get, you are there. You can learn the whole thing uh, in a shorter time. Uh, the, when we say learning anything in a shorter time, we are not talking about learning more thing in a shorter time because that doesn't help. Mm. So the right approach should be, do I really need to learn more? What is my shorter list looks like, which gives me exact same outcome? So when we start looking at that one, the time automatically is going to go shorter because now you got a slim trim list that you're going to master. Mm -hmm. So that's number two. Number three is very important piece which people actually miss most of the time. That one is what we call a lean sequence. It's a sequence which is a very thin trim down or you remove all the facts, all the stuff out of that sequence. In some cases, what happens is that the the sequence in which you learn may be able to make you go faster. Mm -hmm. okay. um, for, I give you an example. For example, when you go to school, um, in the school, they, they, typically what they do is they give you a problem, which is simple in nature, and then they ask you to master it. Then they're going to give you another problem, which is a little bit more complex or difficult. Then they're going to go to the next level, give you more complex, right? So. The, their thought process is they're going to give you simple to complex. What if I give you other way around? I give you the complex problem first. You will only need to master that complex problem. Imagine what once you master that, every single simple problem is automatically taken care of. Mm -hmm. So essentially going in that layer is not necessary. So going academic kind of sequence is not going to help. So you need to figure out what's the right sequence because if you use the right sequence, you will be able to cut the time out from the journey. Okay. So that's and, great tips. and then of that, that sequence, find the hardest part of that sequence and bite that bullet first. Is that right? And that's also right. Because um, psychologically, when you meet failures, failures are going to accelerate your learning. In the beginning, you might feel, wait a second, I got stopped by the failure. I can move forward. It may mm -hmm. seem slow, but we're talking about the total journey. We're not talking about short-term gains. We're talking mm -hmm. about where you're going to go uh, at the end. So if you face more failures and overcome those failures, you're going to be able to go to your destination in a much shorter time mm -hmm. compared to, you know, kind of dispositioning them at later. 
Have you ever found that uh, for step three, find the sequence and then find the hardest part, the hardest step and just go and bite that off so that once you do that, then everything else becomes easier. Do you find that people stop at that because that's what's stopping them? Yeah, because I think there are a lot of things. People have this anxiety to look good. Mm. And that's when we get into this comparison game, we go end nowhere. I can tell you my example. When I started my professional learning, uh, sorry, professional speaking, I was offered this uh, TEDx opportunity within mm-hmm. about a couple of months. In other situations, I could have uh, gone fearful because you know what? I just started my professional speaking journey and I can be on a TEDx stage. Mm-hmm. There is no way because I, there's a whole lot of journey I need to travel. Mm-hmm. But when you take on those toughest challenge first, everything else becomes so easy because then you have mastered the, the, the pinnacle and then remaining thing will come in pretty easy, but it requires certain mindset mm-hmm. to be able to face those challenges. And that part, uh, our education system, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and training system, our training program, our consultant coaches typically don't teach. They yeah. put simple thing first and the harder thing later. They need to switch that let's put the people to the hardest possible challenge right in the beginning on day one of the training program or education program. You will see the miracle will happen. Remaining thing, they wouldn't even need much effort. Mm, Yeah, I can totally understand that. So how do you divide your time between working in a corporate job and then doing your own thing on the side? Like are you nine to five corporate and then in the evenings and then the weekends or writing your books, you know, doing research? Like how are you spending your time? How are you splitting your time yeah i think Rarita, i'm going to give you the the concept which i think you already follow um the thing is that uh, you gotta need to do no matter whether it's a professional work whether your personal work whether it is your mainstream job or your side gig or whatever it has to have a core of your passion mm-hmm. if you and your anchor is same you guess what you're gonna be almost uh, seamless boundaryless in all domains you're going to be writing books with same level of efficiency, the level which you are doing your job. You're going to be as effective in your job because you're very successful elsewhere. But once your core passion is exactly the same, that ties in everything. For example, in my case, I work for a corporate. It's a learning job. It's a job of managing learning and be able to design learning. And I, that's exactly what I do in my side gig. So it's one and same thing. I use same set of skills, whether I am inside or outside, whether I write books, whether I speak, whether I uh, participate in other forums, it's one and same thing. So once you have the core passion, which become your anchor, everything becomes effortless and you wouldn't really feel that you are spending time on something uh, uh, more than other. And mm-hmm. in reality, then the, of course, the boundaries won't, uh, they kind of mix up. But that's okay because in today's world, it is almost impossible to draw the boundaries. Mm-hmm. So only way you can survive is being able to diffuse them nicely so that they kind of complement or supplement each other. But it has to be anchored on one passion. So I think that was my answer that uh, because I feel that I'm doing one and same thing, whether I'm writing books, whether I'm uh, working with some, some executives or I am working in corporate, it's one and same thing. So that's what gives me so much efficiency that I don't have to actually think about dividing uh, okay. sort of time. So, so right. in corporate, in corporate, uh, what are you doing specifically in corporate, like the, your, your actual job, your work, your job? What, do you, what work function are you doing there? So I manage a, a 
training center, which is the hall of the training, hall of the fame training center. It's one of the top five in the world. So in, it's one of the best uh, technical training center, uh, I would say. And uh, we have large teams and my job is to look at strategies that can allow our employees to progress faster. Okay. And uh, of course, a lot of that content comes from my own research, mm. which where I invested myself, but that's okay. I mean, that's how I get my skills. That's how, what makes me better. So part of that one is I look at uh, our employees' uh, trajectory. Mm. We look at that where exactly they shouldn't be spending time, what exactly they shouldn't be doing and how they should be doing it differently so that they are there faster and they're more uh, masterful, they are more proficient in doing what they're supposed to do. Excellent. So that's my mainstream job. Are you able to share the name of that training center? Yeah, it's called KLA Corporation. Okay, I've never heard that. But then again, I'm not in that industry. Okay, fantastic. So yeah, that's yeah. A, they're one of the top five in the world. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. And how long have you been in that role for? How long have you been doing that for? I have been doing that for about 15 years. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so that's really interesting so your passion is really because that's what I always say that your passion is like your what gives you energy and simply learning and learning about the efficiency of learning and the speed of learning is what gives you energy and then just giving that content and giving that instruction to others is what really energizes you would that be correct yeah yeah that's that's correct I mean that's the foundational thing you have to have energy you have to have common anchor but of course, there are another part to that to my efficiency that uh, after all, I am an expert on speed. So I know yeah. how to get the things yes. done at a faster rate. Yes. So that's how I can write so many books and I can do so many things. People have asked me, you, know, you do professional speeches, you do this kind of, you write books, uh, you participate in a lot of media features and all the other things. How do you do that? So I think my whole um, uh, advice to them is that I look at my sequence. I look at what mm-hmm. my outcomes are. And then I do only those things which are going to allow me to achieve those outcomes. So I don't waste my time in learning unnecessary things, which is not going to take me there. So you have to be very selective about learning. So when Mm -hmm. you don't uh, stuff your brain with so much content, when you don't waste so much time on social media, when you don't go into all those kind of things, which is not going to help you attain that outcome, you will save a lot of time. And then you can use that time to speed up your trajectory. Excellent. Excellent. So what I want to take you through right now, um, before I go into, I've got some rapid fire questions that I'd like to ask you. And then that's just the rapid fire first answers, the right answer that comes into your mind. Before I do, is there a link or a, um, a website that we can let viewers know, let listeners know that yeah. they can go and find out more about you and your books? Yeah, uh, I think most of my information is there at ramankatri.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a pretty uh, comprehensive site, a lot of information and reports, and uh, they can connect back with me and also read some of the articles. But otherwise, I have a minimal presence in social media. They can find me, Dr. Raman K. Atri. Um, but my be- website is the best way they can reach out to me. Excellent. Excellent. So let's get straight into the rapid fire questions. First answer is the right answer. So first question, your greatest tool for training is? Emotions. Emotions. The best way to find your passion. Look at two things. Why and what for? Why are you doing the things? And what exactly you want to achieve out of that one? Once you connect these two things, you can find your passion. Fantastic. 
What's the ugly side of finding your passion? You may not be able to make money. Mm. And so does that, do you find that that's common? That's very common. In fact, it's more prevailing. I mean, even though there's a theory around this one that you should do what you're passionate about, but not every passion is slated to give you money. So you need to be able to figure out uh, how you're going to do the things, uh, uh, not always, unless you very carefully match your profession and passion together and mm-hmm. leverage uh, the collateral in a way that will help you generate money. Okay. All right. The best platform uh, for what would you say would be the best platform? I know you're not very um, active on social, but what would you say would be the best platform for personal branding or marketing, you know, for people to find out about you? I think the best is the LinkedIn. Okay. Still continue to be. Yeah. Okay. The hardest part about turning your passion into a profession. Hardest part is, uh, I think the monetary part is definitely the hardest mm-hmm. part of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think the most important piece is how to stick on that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, passion, when you follow the passion, things become much harder. Yeah. Because... Nobody taught you passion in the school. Nobody taught you the skills in order to be successful in the passion because most of the time we spend in education and those kind of things. And we hardly learn skills to sharpen our passion. And that's the hardest part. Then when we start leveraging passion, so fundamentally what we are doing is we are discarding our 20 years of education 20 mm. years of upbringing, 20 years of learning skills, 20 years of whatever. I'm still giving example 20 years. In some cases, 30 or 40 years. Mm. But the thing is, now you are resetting, putting a reset button and starting afresh. So when you do that, um, it becomes things become very hard because now you need to start from the beginning. You need to learn everything to convert your passion into profession because you're going to need to sharpen your skills and you're going to need to be able to establish your expertise. And expertise takes a long time. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, I think uh, we get this into this uh, thing, what we call a uh, passion to profession. It, mm. it, does, it does not translate unless there's an intermediate stage of expertise. You need mm-hmm. to convert your passion into expertise and mm-hmm. expertise become your profession. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what's the easiest part about turning your passion into a profession? You are multi-dimensional. Uh, the, I want to elaborate that one because we don't come as a, a kind of in pieces. We come as a package. I mean, my professional life and personal life has no difference. I'm the same person. My emotion, my skills, my way of talking, my way of interacting, everything is me. Mm. So the thing is that uh, we shouldn't be able to, many people are able to behave differently in the professional mm. world and mm. they have a different personality in the personal life. I think that creates a problem. So I think the if we are going to follow the passion, the easy part is that we can be who we are. Okay. And that goes a long way. What's the greatest lesson that you've learned in one word or one sentence? The greatest lesson you've learned on being on your journey of, um, of learning about speed, speed yeah. learning? I learned that, uh, you know, it's uh, motivation and inspiration is overrated. Uh, oh, tell you, me more about that. Uh, more often people chase motivation or inspiration Mm -hmm. to do things. uh, They they think that motivation is uh, or inspiration is going to take them forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is true for a a short time because motivation or inspiration of any kind, no matter is internal or external, is very short-lived. It can kind of fume out in the air the moment you're going to face some hard 
situations. Instead, my philosophy is that uh, look for clarity because once you have the clarity about why you're doing the thing, what for you're doing the thing, and the clarity about the direction you're gonna go, it gives you a sustainable fuel and you will never run out of that fuel. Clarity is the superpower that will keep propelling you. Once you have clarity, you're never gonna need motivation or inspiration. But how do you get and that clarity? So I, my philosophy is again, very simple. Uh, more, more often people chase why for clarity, more often. Uh, but I think that there are two aspects to our personality. One is the emotional aspect, which is why. Why we do certain things, why we want to do certain things. But that's not enough. Many people start their profession journey only trying to figure out this why. But then there is another piece to that personality. What for? Why we want to do this? Where we want to go? What we want to achieve? Now, connection between these two, if you can establish that connection, that's the clarity. And that clarity does not come very easily to people because people are either focused on what for or they're focused on why. They mm -hmm. hardly spend time in connecting the, the bridge between these two. So clarity is all about the bridge. Once that bridge is clear, you get the clarity. I think that's the only mantra I can share. Okay, all right. So the last two questions is, what do you believe that others think is crazy? I'm sorry, I didn't get, get that question. What do you believe that others think is crazy? About me or in general? Anything. Um, I don't think I can really comment on that one. Um, but uh, I believe uh, um, things are crazy these days for in general, for everyone. <laughs> right? And we follow the crazy things. I mean, for example, I feel that, uh, you know, comparing with each other and getting into a race is crazy. But that's the every one of us is doing that thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. right? And many times people think I'm crazy because I don't get into that race. Mm -hmm. You're crazy. You're not there. <laughs> you know so much. You've done so much. Be on the front. You know, do your self-promotion kind of thing. So I think it, that's, it varies how people okay. think. It depends okay. upon their own goals. All right. And then the last question is, fill in the blank, turning your passion to a profession is? Is finding yourself. Mm. Dr. Raman, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been a special treat having you here and learning about learning and how to speed that process up. Thank you for your time. And we wish you every success as you embark on the 21st book, which I'm sure is not far behind for you. Thank you so much, Reza. It has been a pleasure to be on your show. Fantastically executed. Appreciate it. Thank you.